As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Answers Network with Alan Cardoza, only on LA Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us and welcome to another edition of Answers Network. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza, and each week, this show will address many ways of creating greater health, joy, and love for you and your loved ones. We will introduce you to top professionals and talented authors who are working to make this world a better place for all of us. Now, I'd really appreciate it if you could all do me a big favor. Please forward at least one of our shows to your social media group and to someone you know who can benefit from today's subject. I'll tell you right now, if you know anybody that has children, send it to them now. This is one they're going to want to hear. And I want you to know that this is just another powerful way that we can make a positive difference together. Now, I want you all to know that I am truly grateful that you take your time to listen to or now watch this show, and especially those that send in questions, comments, and reviews, as well as suggestions, because please remember, this show exists for you. Now, if you haven't gotten your free copy of the Attitude of Gratitude journal yet, go to our website at answers.network or answersforthefamily.com and download a copy, give it 21 days, and comment on whatever platform you listen to us on what focusing on gratitude has meant for you and your loved ones. Now, our guest uh, is Dr. Elizabeth Candell Englander, and she was with us about six weeks ago talking about her research that focused on bullying and cyberbullying prevention. And when I learned about her new book called The Insanely Awesome Pandemic Plan, uh, uh, Play- Playbook, let me try that again. The Insanely Awesome Pandemic Playbook, a humorous mental health guide for kids, 
I had to have her back on the show. This is an area that uh, I've been so concerned with. Uh, as you know, one of my companies, we work with kids and we're seeing so many things that they're going through. Um, just that, that we don't seem to have the answers for right now. So let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Englander. Um, her research and publications are nationally recognized. In fact, one recognition uh, was being named Most Valuable Educator of 2013 by the Boston Red Sox. Now, that mention alone will bring a smile to my, my friend's face <laughs> that are Red Sox fans and maybe a groan to a groan or two to some of the Yankee fans. But uh, uh, so if uh, anybody, if you're listening to this sometime in the future, know that it's spring, which means baseball is back. And uh, I loved reading that. And so, uh, Elizabeth, welcome back to Answers Network. Thanks so much, Alan. I'm so happy to be back. Now, um, I've learned a little bit about what it takes to get a book out. And to have a book that has already come out that deals with this issue, um, how did you do it? How did you do this so quickly? Well, I'm not sure that before the internet I would have been able to, quite honestly. Okay. Uh, this this book was very challenging to write, and really I began working on helping parents and families and schools with the pandemic back in uh, May of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but around uh, September, I approached my writing partner, Catherine Covino, and I said to her, you know, we really need to put out a book to help kids cope with all of the emotional fallout of going through this extraordinary, extraordinary uh, year. And uh, we need to do it really fast. And Katie is uh, was all on board. And mm-hmm. so she and I just put together this book really quickly. And it was out in, in the beginning of December. Well, in the middle of December. And um, it's been going great guns ever since then. Well, I, I mean, I noticed that the book is more than just a how to organize your day during the lockdown. What I like is, I mean, it tackles some of the very serious topics and really guides kids on how to become responsible decision makers, um, which is something that I think is good, even if we weren't having a pandemic. Um, So but but what specifically about the pandemic inspired you to to write the book and to to obviously you must have dropped everything to be able to get this out so quickly? Yes, everything was was pretty much dropped. (laughs) It's true. Um, I think that one of the things I knew is that I knew that anxiety was going to be an enormous issue. And I knew that a lot of kids were probably going to be really suffering from the social isolation and possibly from depression. Mm -hmm. And there was some data that really suggested that things were going south in terms of kids' mental health. So I wanted something. I wanted a book that uh, would really rope kids in, but in a positive way, would mm-hmm. teach them the language so they knew the words for what we were talking about. What, is, what does anxiety mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what does risk mean? What does six feet apart mean? What do these things really mean? We throw them around, but uh, a lot of times they confuse children. So we wanted to do that. And Katie is really great at bringing a really uh, sharp, sort of nine-year-old sense of humor 
<laughs> and we got a 12-year-old to illustrate it. So the pictures are really accessible to kids because a kid made them. Sure. And uh, that it just came together really, really well. I'm very happy with it. And by the way, Alan, um, these are all of the issues that kids are experiencing during the pandemic. But there are going to be a lot of issues, particularly anxiety, that are going to be coming up after we begin to go back to a more typical life. Kids are not just going to be able to turn around on a dime. So we're in the middle right now of writing a follow-up for this, for the whole idea of how do you integrate back into regular life. I, I think that's, that's perfect um, because I, I could not agree more. Um, and again, I, I deal a lot within the mental health industry, and, uh, and I'm hearing the same thing. You know, I'm hearing that, you know, not only is there a problem now, but they are gearing up for the problems that they anticipate um, once we come out of this. Now, as you were writing it, was there a particular age group that you were thinking about or that you were trying to reach uh, or, or one that you recommend? Or, um, I mean, there's a particular age group where maybe we as adults should be reading it to them. Um, well, it's geared towards kids age 7 to 11. But I will tell you, Alan, that I've had a number of adults contact me and said they read it and they were laughing while they read it. It was very engaging and they enjoyed it. So, you know, a lot of the things that are true for kids are true for adults, too. But we really aimed it squarely at that age group because younger kids, the kids who are in preschool and kindergarten, um, a lot of them are still going to school. They may be going to school three or four days a week. Um, and so their lives are somewhat less interrupted. The older kids, the teenagers, their lives have been very interrupted. But they uh, they have a little bit more resources emotionally and mentally to cope. So we really wanted to get those kids in the middle who really need. we knew were going to need the help. And uh, that's why we aimed it towards it. And the jokes are all, you know, about things that you thought were hilarious when you were nine years old. And, um, well, and some of which probably, I thought this was is probably still hilarious. A family, this is probably a family show, <laughs> but there's lots of like toilet jokes and things like uh -huh. that. The kids of that age think are completely hilarious. Yeah. And so the idea is to engage them, make them want to read it. And, but also learn how to sort of handle it. What is, you know, how do you handle it when you're feeling so anxious that you can't go to sleep? Yeah. Well, I'm a couple semesters older than nine. And I got to tell you, I thought a lot of them was humorous as well. So, um, and in fact, in, in one chapter in the book that you, you talked about how to deal with distractions, you know, which can, which can make or break the success for, for kids, especially now going through online education. But as I was reading it, I'm going, well, wait, this is a problem I'm having, too. <laughs> so, so and, give us and me as well. So <laughs> I'm I'm locked up in my bedroom now. And I've told my children that unless the house catches fire, they are not to come in. And that's just so you and I can talk without interruption. But, um, you know, it's distraction is a huge, huge issue. And, you know, we really wanted to give people tools, too. And that one actually is a great example of how we really work to give people practical ways that they could cope with this. Mm -hmm. Well, let's discuss um, how you use the book uh, to children in ways to talk with their family and to minimize the feelings of depression and anxiety. Because it was one of the things that I liked was, was that it wasn't just talking at them 
but it was more of um, here are things that you can do and things that you can come back to your family with that's going to help everybody communicate better. Share a little bit about that because I thought that was really important. Yeah, one of the things about children in this age group is that if you get them accustomed to the idea of advocating for something, they're very good at it. So think about, for example, if you have ever tried to use four paper towels to dry your hands in front of a 10-year-old, you're very likely to get a lecture about how you're using too much paper and, uh, you know, don't you know about, you know, climate change and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so once kids pick up uh, an idea of advocacy at that age, they're very good at running with it. So what I wanted to do is I, we really wanted to give them the idea that they could advocate for their own mental health and to understand that, yeah, you're going to school on a screen all day. And then when you want to relax, maybe what you really want to do is go play a video game to relax. That's understandable. But in terms of your mental health, it might be better if first you go outside and play outside for an hour or take a walk or play with the dog or do something like that, um, you know, and that, that's really going to sort of help ease your anxiety and, and sad feelings. And we wanted kids to feel like they knew what they could do. And part of that had to be talking to adults too. So we really do emphasize that in the book that, um, you know, adults are there for you. They want to help you. They want to help you through this and you can talk to them. Well, we have a question coming in from a uh, uh, an aunt um, who is very concerned, and this one reads, my nephew was a strong A-B student uh, in his fifth grade class. Since our state was placed in lockdown almost a year ago, his grades have fallen into the CD range. His mother is very distre- distressed uh, because at every turn, she finds him playing video games and texting with his friends rather than doing his schoolwork. Whenever she or her husband try to talk to him about this, she says that he goes into this unresponsive blank stare as if he just doesn't care. Would your book be of help to them at this stage? It's from Turner in uh, Colorado. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I think you're right to be concerned. Um, But I do think the book would help because it really talks about managing screens and and managing screen times. Um, One of the problems is that kids during this pandemic feel really removed, many of them, from their teachers. They don't feel like they're part of a class anymore or part of a school. Uh, There's actually a reasonable proportion of parents that just gave up last spring and stopped having their kids go to online school. So we have got to get people invested again, including children in going back to school. And so how that's going to work is that's going to work in this particular caller's case in a, in a, a conversation, you know, so talk to the teacher, explain what's going on, explain about the difficulty with engaging this boy. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, I, you know, I bet the teacher is going to be able to help you because let me tell you, if you're teaching elementary school today, this year, you have become an expert in engaging children online. And there's going to be ways that that teacher is probably going to be able to help you. You also might want to set up more of a schedule where you say during these times you can play your games, but at other times the controller is going to stay in the closet and we're going to do schoolwork and work together and, you know, things like that. So there are things in the book about setting up schedules, 
setting up places, Mm -hmm. communication with the teachers, all of this helps kids get through. One final thought, if you have a kid who's really struggling, is that going to school online is extremely fatiguing. And kids are exhausted. You're probably exhausted. I'm exhausted. We're all exhausted with this. And there are ways to combat that. So, for example, it's very effortful because you're looking for, like, all the social cues that you usually pick up effortlessly in person. Right. And uh, you're also focused on a screen that's usually very close to your face, which actually is very fatiguing. If you think about if you were having conversations with people who are standing three inches from your face all the time, that would be very fatiguing. So there are things you can do, like trying to sit back a little bit further from the screen and maybe every few minutes pick up your eyes and focus on something in the distance instead of on the screen Every few minutes, get up and stretch or jump around or eat something really crunchy or salty or drink something hot or cold, something that's really going to zip up your senses. And it kind of helps kids focus a little better. So a lot of these things we do go through in the book because there's no doubt about it. School is a big thing. And let me tell you, uh, Aunt, if you're worried, that boy is worried too. I guarantee you. And that's that's where we got to start is how is he feeling? What does he think is going on? What does he think the problem is? And talk with the teacher. Well, let's talk a little bit about screen time and 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 its effects. And I know that, I mean, even before the pandemic, I've had guests on and they have talked about just screen time, how it's affecting, you know, our brain, how it's affecting our, our eyesight. Um, Let's talk about how that's affecting now even greater the children's physical and mental health. You know, you're absolutely right. I have a a little bit of a problem with how we've approached this as a society. So I feel like uh, we as experts come out and we say to parents, look at all this data on how much screens are damaging your children. And then parents go home, right? And they live in the real world where their children are going to be doing a lot of screens and they're not sure how to limit that. They don't want to cut off their kids' social networks, especially not during a pandemic, but they also know about the bad stuff now. And that creates a lot of anxiety in parents. Guess what anxiety in parents creates? Anxiety in children. That's right. So Mm -hmm. you can see that I don't want, I don't want help from experts to feed into that anxiety. loop. I don't want that. So let's, flip this on its head. Let's say, focus instead on carving out pockets of time and places where you're doing no screens. So you say, okay, every day at dinner, we eat six. Every day at six o'clock, excuse me, we eat dinner. At five o'clock, we're going to start preparing dinner. All the screens are off and everyone's going to come to the kitchen and we're going to talk and we're going to help each other. We're all going to make dinner together and then we're going to sit down and we're going to eat it right? And you've carved out that time. Maybe you have time in the afternoon where you say, we're all going to go outside for an hour, all of us together. And we're going to run around and shriek and get fresh air and, you know, really, really make the most of that hour. Carve out these pockets of time. Uh, You can set rules like, say, before a certain hour, no screens, or after a certain hour, no screens. The point is, is that I think it's more helpful to carve out those pockets of time and place rather than flipping it on its head 
and making parents sort of anxious every time they see their child in front of a screen, you know, that their child's brain is going to start oozing out through their ears and they're losing SAT points by the minute. Um, You know, it's, remember that most of what we hear in the media is about extremes. And what we have to do is we have to focus on living in the middle. Absolutely. That is so well said. I love that. And it actually made me think of a, there was a comment that came in after a show. This has probably been about two years ago. And we had done a show on screen time. And um, one of the comments that came in afterwards was by a, um, a, a parent that had said, you know, I, you know, I understand what it is that, you know, that they're saying, but at the same time, I have trouble um, getting my husband to follow the same, uh, the same rules because he comes home and turns on video games, you know, after work and he's doing all of this. And she said it, it, and it makes it very difficult for me to be able to tell, you know, our two children. And by the way, you can't do this from this time to this time while dad's over doing the same thing. So, so I love the fact you're talking about first, let's carve out time, but let's also model what it is that we need to, to teach them as well. No, absolutely. It's great if you can model it. It really is. But I also do want to remind parents of something. The same rules don't always apply to you as apply to the kids. So generally speaking, for example, parents have the best bedroom in the house. Why? Because they're the ones who work. They're the ones who earn the money, provide the house. Kids get littler bedroom. That's usually how it works. Mm -hmm. You get some things that your children don't get. Because you're grown up and you get to make those kinds of judgments for yourself. And when they're grown up, they're going to get to make them too. So it's okay to say to a child, look, I know we said all screens off at eight o'clock, but I have work to do. And so I'm going to sit at my laptop and do some work. And that's, that's part of my prerogative as an adult. Um, Now, video games is obviously different, you know, (laughs) than saying to your child that you have work to do. But, uh, you know, um, maybe there's some compromise that they can come up with that would work. Like maybe, for example, they could say, okay, when dad comes home, maybe he'll play a video game with the kids for half an hour and then it turns off and everybody makes dinner together. Something like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I agree. As, as long as, as they're doing it together, that's one of the best things that we can provide our kids is our time. So, yes, if you're going to do it, do it together. Um, so we are speaking with Elizabeth Englander, and the book is called The Insanely Awesome Pandemic Playbook. It's a humorous mental health guide for kids. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, let's talk a little bit about how the isolation, how you feel the isolation is affecting children, and some of the little tools and tricks that, that can be done to help kind of get them out of that. So for everybody, stay with us. You're listening to Answers Network. Founded over 30 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, Westfield has continually focused on resolving issues that negatively impact families and businesses. Our signature therapeutic transportation service helps to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely transported to specialized schools, programs, and treatment centers with unsurpassed experience and success. We are supported by our full-service licensed investigation agency that has legally, professionally, and compassionately located hundreds of runaways and teens. 
We are experienced and qualified to help, offering solutions which may include referrals to our international network of top professionals in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, psychiatry, and investigations. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services and West Shield Investigations are the best solutions when your family is facing a personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. That's 1-800-899-8585, or visit our website at westshield.com. Thank you. And we're back. You're listening to Answers Network. With me is Elizabeth Englander, and we are talking about the isolation and things that our children are going through. And and Elizabeth, let's talk a little bit about this because it's sort of a pet peeve for me because one of the things that I disagreed with most was this idea of isolation and, and keeping everybody indoors. Um, and I started doing my own research and realized that one of the best things that we can do to keep our immune system strong was to be outdoors, to be grounding, to be taking in fresh air, to be taking in sunlight, all of these things. And here we're being told to do just the opposite. Uh, and, and we're now finding out that that, that was exactly right, you know, that, <laughs> that, that we needed to be outside. And now they're saying, okay, everybody, it's okay, go outside, just stay six feet apart. Um, talk a little bit about, um, you know, this, this inability to run and play with friends and, you know, how difficult it's been, especially with the younger children. Well, I think the first thing to remember is that a year to a child is a very long time. Great. So if they've gone a year, you know, without the kind of play that they had before, that's, that's very concerning for all of us. Mm -hmm. Now, children are resilient. Children are resilient. And a lot of kids are going to bounce back. But I do think that a lot of kids are going to need some extra sort of scaffolding when they really begin to get back into a more typical life. You know, we know that children, there, there hasn't been very much research on these kinds of situations, but the little that has been show that or suggests that children tend to, some children tend to really want to talk about what's happened. Other children tend to really want to withdraw and not talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kids cope really differently. And we're going to have to think about how our kids are coping and how we're going to help them, how we're going to talk about what they're worried about. Um, You know, one of the things that that this book doesn't really deal with that we're dealing with in the follow-up is the whole idea of when you go back into real life, how you sort of feel kind of weirdly anxious. Uh, And I talk in the preface about my own experience. One of my kids actually did contract the virus and Mm. was quarantined for two weeks and how we were so excited to see him again, you know, but then when the day came, it was like, we were all sort of weirdly anxious. Like, is this okay? Is it safe? I mean, logically we knew it was safe, but the point is, is that I really feel like, I really feel like this year has done a number on the emotions of kids and all of their social skills, all the things that they hone in their social play, a lot of those are going to be really depleted. And so we're going to have to hold their hand and walk them back through some of this. We're going to have to say, it's okay if you feel a little weird. 
it's okay. That's normal. We, you know, in the new book, we're talking about what does it mean to anticipate something, you know, and to understand that, you know, it's not perfect. We're all really excited, but life wasn't perfect before. It's not going to be again. Um, You know, to think about sort of how to handle it when you see your. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Friend in school that you haven't seen in a year. How do you handle that? That's a really anxious and kind of weird feeling. And um, kids are going to need to do that. Their play skills are going to be reduced. And they may need some coaching, you know, and some some real hands-on help. But I really think that uh, adults can help them with this. And I, I'm very optimistic that a lot of kids with a little bit of extra care, you know, a little bit of more knowledge, a little bit more understanding, they're going to they're gonna bounce back. It'll take a while, but... I certainly hope so. But but I also agree that for the most part, you know, I mean, we as humans, we are resilient, you mm. know, and, and you know, we've been through a lot of a lot of worse things, you know, in, yeah. the his, in our history and have gotten through it. So I know that we will get through this. But I love the fact that that you are providing these tools for people to to help just to help us get through it. And the other thing that's going to happen is, is that. um there's a lot of people having some real financial hardships. So when, when they're able to go back to work, I think a lot of people are going to really try to make hay while they can, you know, yeah. well, you know, I, I don't know if there's going to be another wave. So we're going to work, 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 work to try to get caught back up to where we were, which yeah. is then going to make it even tougher on the kids. So, so having yeah. the tools like you're, you're providing with this book and with the follow-up one, thank you. It's, this is a, this is a double trauma. Because kids are traumatized by the whole virus, the virus being out there, which is a scary thing to a child. Um, And, you know, but also financial problems. Adults tend to think that kids don't notice financial issues or they don't care about financial issues. I guarantee you that's not the case. If you've been sitting around the kitchen table at night really worried about how you're going to pay your bills, Mm -hmm. believe me, the kids have picked up on this. And so... You know, this has really been a double whammy. I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing so much anxiety as we're coming out of it. Yeah, speaking of that, 
we have a uh, another question coming in, question comment. This one says, between myself, my brother, and two sisters, we have eight elementary and tween age kids. Even though they are all back in school part-time, they cannot participate in sports, uh, and the distancing and the masks are upsetting them terribly. I have a copy of your book ordered uh, that I am passing on to my siblings at our next gathering, uh, uh, and, I so, and I'm so very happy to see a book dedicated to this specific problem that we are continuing to face. A couple of us will be listening to the show and look forward to learning more about the book directly from, um, from you during the interview. It says, thank you, and this is from Marilyn in Delaware. Well, you know, that's always great to hear because when you work in this kind of thing where you're trying to help people get through difficult things, it's wonderful to hear that something you do is useful. And I, I really do think they'll find it useful. You know, as with every book, it, it not every single point is going to resonate with every single child. But I guarantee you that some of these points are really going to resonate with some of these kids. I mean, thinking about not not having seen their friends, not being able to play sports, um, and how different school is, right? How different it is. Kids are all distanced. They all have to wear masks. They don't walk around the school, right? They stay put in one location. Oh, and no. all of that, you know, all of that really has changed the school experience. Uh, it's really important to understand that school is a really different place, even though, you know, kids are back part-time in many places. It's still a really different experience than it used to be. And um, that, that was one of our goals is to give kids the language so that they say, okay, now that's what I'm talking about. And why do I have to wear a mask, right? Why do I have to wear it? I don't like wearing it. I don't understand what they're talking about. And so the purpose of the book is to teach them, you know, why do we wear a mask? Why? And what do we mean by risk? You know, so we describe when we teach risk in this book, the way we teach it is we say to the kids, imagine that you slathered yourself with butter and went out into the backyard to play on your slip and slide. That might be fun, mm-hmm. right? A buttered slip and slide. That yeah. might be really fun. But there's some risks associated with it. For one thing, you might become like the lunch for a group of ants or something, right? And you'll be gross. And I mean, the point is to understand that there are things about what you do that can make it better or make it worse. And so you use a silly example because it makes the kids laugh and it gets them to read the book and enjoy reading the book. But then they understand the concept. You know, we say to kids, if you're in an elevator during COVID, if you're in an elevator with your mom, that's, you know, how safe is that? That's probably pretty safe. But what if you're in an elevator with 10 people who are having a yodeling and hugging contest? (laughs) That's probably not so safe. So, you know, that's the idea. Like, that's sort of how you teach them to think about risk and what we mean by it. And we talk about the fact that different families are going to have different risks. So it can't be like, you know, Jared's family lets them do this. It can't, that's not going to work because every family has different risks and every family has to decide for themselves. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you, you brought up hugging because I think that's another one of the, the things that is, um, that has disappeared. And I think it's something that is so important to our mental health. I think we, you know, as, as humans, 
that is something we need to have that closeness. We need to have that touch. And, and for those people that are, you know, that, that are married or that, that have a significant other that they live with, and they've decided that within their home, they can, they can get these hugs. But I think that with teens that may not feel comfortable with that with mom and dad or something like that, they now have no other outlet to be able to to do this, and I'm I'm so frustrated over the fact that 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 we're not focusing more on the fact that what can we do now to help them deal with the fact that this is going to change uh, their mental health. Yeah, and it's actually a really interesting question. I mean, there's whole there's a whole continuum of things, right? So there's actually hugging somebody, there's just being in the same room with somebody. There's being mm-hmm. near to somebody versus then there's being online. And these things are all different and they all affect right. our mental health differently, right? Mm-hmm. You don't really understand so well why. Well, not really. I mean, if you say to somebody, why does it matter so much if you're with your teacher in your fourth grade classroom versus if you're with your teacher in your fourth grade classroom online, why does that make a difference? There's not great answers for why that makes a difference. We know it does though. No, it does. So one of the things we talk about with kids in in this book is that it's incredibly important to take advantage of all the physical touching that you can get and the talking that you can get in person with people, with the people you can do it with. So if that means you can just do it with your family, then that's who you have to do it with. Maybe in the past, you talked more with your friends. Well, this is a, a unique situation. And uh, talking to the talking to kids, talking to parents, sitting down and eating dinner together is really, really important. For one thing, too, it's not just the physicality and the mental health aspect of it. Those are the times when kids are going to be practicing their social skills and they're going to need them when we come Mm -hmm. out of this. So, uh, you know, you you may not be the A-list choice, (laughs) but you're there. And you're available. So, yes. no, I think that's a great point. And I think even within that, th- these decisions, you know, um, and which is why, I, and, and just telling everybody, I mean, I love how you, I mean, the book is, is, is it's a workbook, you know, so it, it has questions, it has answers, it has suggestions. Um, but one of the things is, is that from hugging is, okay, why can we hug, um, you know, within our immediate family? but we can't hug a uh, 82 year old grandma, you know, you know, that's you right. Know, yeah. To be able to explain to them, well, she has a different immune system and it's, it's more important right now that, that we don't hug her, but it doesn't mean that we don't love her or that she doesn't love us and all of these things. Um, and, and to that's me, right. and, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go no, ahead. no. And, and I was going to say, you know, these should also be things that in school they should be addressing. If we're going to be online, why not have them also address why we have to be online, why we're doing this, and and why we're going to come out of this and everything's going to be okay. But instead, um, you know, if they turn on the news or anything else, all they're getting is the doom and gloom, you know, of, you know, you know, let's put up another number of how many people, you know, uh, got sick or how many people died or how many people did this. They're not putting up the numbers of here's, here's the 99.7% of people that, that had, you know, that didn't die, or here's the percentage of people that, um, you know, that didn't have symptoms or that, that now, 
uh, and I know in Germany, they have people that w- once you've had it, they're actually um, taking some of that person's blood and they were using it to, uh, you know, to immunize quite a few other people to where right. now somebody that actually had it sort of felt like they were doing something good for three other people. Right. You know, right. what? And why not take that in the U.S. too, in some cases. I think that was actually part of the treatment that President yeah. Trump made when he was sick, was he got those antibodies. But the point is that I think is really important to understand is that risk is a relative thing. You know, so for example, mm-hmm. in this part of the book, there's something called the mm-hmm. riskometer, which <laughs> is what we show the kids. We say to the kids, risk is not like a light switch. It's not like there's risk or there's no risk. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's like. It's like a riskometer. You know, might be a little higher, might be a little lower. And and you use pictures and concepts like that to give kids the idea that your 82-year-old nana is at a different risk than your 60-year-old father, you know, mm-hmm. or your 94-year-old great-grandfather. Like the those groups are at different risk. Everybody is different. And that helps you understand go and hug people that they might want to hug. But there's also an emotional element to this, Alan, because mm-hmm. it's a big loss. You know, this is a big loss. Oh, if you yeah. if you have kids who are really close to their grandparents and they spend a year and they can't give them a hug, that's that's a that's an emotionally difficult thing as well. You have to understand it, but you also have to deal with the feelings. And that's kind of this line we tried to walk on this book is helping kids deal with the feelings while they're understanding the facts. You know, when, when you brought up your riskometer, one of the things that I loved about that was, was that, um, you know, it, it weighs risk versus reward, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that was the part that I liked. And, and I thought, we should be teaching this on everything. It should not just the pandemic. I mean, everything. They need to learn risk versus reward. And like you brought up the, you know, the funny thing of the, you know, the butter on the slide. Okay. Okay. There's a reward of going faster than you've ever gone on a slide before. <laughs> There's also a risk that it throws you way past where your landing point is, you know? <laughs> so weigh the risk the risk and reward. Absolutely. And you know, all of this stuff with the pandemic is like the elephant in the room. And so right now we're in situations with our kids' schools where they are trying desperately to catch up to grade level work in math and English, you know, ELA mm-hmm. and, and social studies. They're working, trying just to get caught up. But sooner or later, we're going to have to talk to kids in a more... Uh, deliberate way about what happened during this year. What happened? What happened to all of us? And, um, you know, I don't know if you know this about the 1918 pandemic, but afterwards, apparently people just sort of never talked about it again. It just happened. A lot of people died and people just stopped talking about it. But we don't really want to do that because we want to have a better outcome if, if God forbid, this ever happens again. So, uh, you know, we sort of want to cope. And that's part of coping with the kids' feelings is talking about what has happened. And that's that's part of what schools need to do and thinking about how to prepare for this. How are they going to talk to kids about this year? They don't want to traumatize them again, but they, they're going well, no, to have to no, no, we don't want to traumatize them again. I'm not sure that everybody else has the same 
the, the same agenda, you know. <laughs> but we, oh, I, I, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I know. Uh, um, but no, I agree, and and uh, and I think not only talking about it, but let's also talk about some of the positives that are going to come out of this because there are so many families that are now spending a lot more time together and some of which feel like they're being driven crazy, but others I think are really coming together. They're really bonding better and realizing that, wow, my family is really here for me, you know? And, and I like them. Yeah. And I like them. What a yeah, discovery. And, I like well, these people. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wow, that can actually be funny sometimes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> No, there's definitely been positives. And, you know, in some ways, we may come out of this much better. I mean, as a mm-hmm. society, these kids are going to, I mean, certainly kids and parents appreciate school and teachers, I think, in a way that they haven't for quite a long yes. time. And that is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So to really say, hey, I appreciate this is going to is gonna transform some schools. I am certain of that. Yeah. I think that a lot of Adults are going to say, you know, I thought I had to go to work five days a week, but now I realize I could do it if I go into the office three days a week and I could work at home the other two days a week. And that could make my life a lot easier and a lot less stressful. Well, exactly. And, 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 and working from home is then being there when the kids get home. Right. Being there yeah. when the kids get home, being there if they happen to be sick, yeah. um, you know, anything like that. It, it just takes a lot of the the stress off. So I think that there are going to be ways that we will come out of this. And there's no doubt uh, that people are going to say that they, you know, they feel closer with their families and what a wonderful thing that is. Definitely. Um, I think we were kind of on the road to that anyway, actually. One of the di- changes we've noticed in teenagers in my research over the years is they do seem to be getting closer to families. And I think, think that has something to do with social media and maybe not feeling quite as close to their friends. So they've sort of pivoted more towards families. But I think this, I think that this pandemic sealed the deal. I, I think now people are going to really appreciate their families. Well, nice. while, we're, while we're talking about positives and while we're talking about fun things that can come out of this, um, describe for us some of the fun activities that you suggest for kids and their families in the book, because I found some of them to be brilliant, I thought. Well, thank you. It's lovely to hear. Uh, so we do have um, things like funny fill-ins, and we have kids um, asking their parents questions about things. And by the way, this book has a parent's guide that comes with, that is a complimentary thing that gives mm-hmm. you more activities and gives you um, things like discussion questions and sort of summary, adult level summaries of what we teach in the segments. We also have an activity book, which is just things like coloring and, you know, word finding puzzles and, uh, you know, poems and things like that, that just uh, just for activities that kids, if you want to get kids off the screens for a little bit, it gives them a paper book they can do some of this stuff in. Let's give them the, um, the website that they can go to where they can get more of these uh, accessories. So they're all on Amazon, but if you want a shortcut, you can go to insanelyawesomebooks.com. All right. So that's Insanely Awesome Books. If you're driving out there, you can go to our website, theanswers.network, and we'll make sure that that's on there as well. Um, So, and again, we've got 
got a couple minutes. Um, what's your favorite fun activity that you put in there that, that works best for you? Um, I think for me, the most fun activity is the, uh, the fill-ins, which are just silly and it's a way to get kids to laugh. And so you take something that you want them to remember from the chapter. Like, let's say you want them to remember, you know, that six feet is about the length of uh, a computer power cord, um, or it's about the length of a man standing up, something like that. And Mm -hmm. So you give them a, a silly sentence and you give them a list of silly words and you say, pick a word at random. And then you fill in the sentence with the word and it sounds ridiculous. And the kids think it's hilarious. And then you show them what the real answer was. And that kind of thing kind of helps it gel, but it's also a lot of fun for the kids. And they really enjoy it. And, um, and we like, we also, we also like the idea of asking the old folks because it really pulls in their parents and gets them going. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, as long as parents can sort of take being called an old folk, which most parents can, it's not that big a deal, but um, you know, it's uh it's kind of a nice way to get parents and kids talking together about some of these issues, which is really, really key. And, you know, one of the things I always say to parents is you do not have to have all the answers. Don't think you have to have all the answers. All you have to do is be the person in their lives who's willing to listen to them and to talk to them and to give them your opinion and to ask them for their opinion and to teach them sort of how to think through a thought, you know, how to think through a question they have. Um, But you don't have to know the answer. I think parents today are too focused on that. It makes them very anxious that they don't have all Mm -hmm. the answers in such a complicated world. But children have never, all the kids we've studied, and I have now studied tens of thousands of children, like more than that in my career. And they never say, oh, my parents are great because they have all the answers. That's never what they say. What they say is my parents are great because they talk to me. That's it. Yeah, or they listen yeah. to me. Yeah. So I, I was smiling because I was thinking that one of the things that I noticed was, you know, between about uh, five years old uh, with my oldest son, five years old and 15 years old, um, I had fewer and fewer of the answers. <laughs> so if I did or not, it didn't matter. In his opinion, I had fewer of them. Um, we, we, and we I bet your point. son loved that, right? Oh, absolutely. The when they have the answers and their parents don't, and let them enjoy that. You know, that's a gift you can give your children is to say to them, show me what you're talking about or teach me what you're thinking of or show me this game you like so much or have you heard about, you know, what are you guys talking about at school? Do you get to talk to each other? I know the desks are separate, but things like that, just let them teach you about what it's like. And kids love to do that. And it really empowers them. It makes them feel great that you care about what their opinion is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mine are now young adults and, and they're, they're far smarter than me. And I'm very proud of that. So um, there's a, you know, we, we've only got a couple minutes, but there's another question that has come in and this sure. one's just come in. This one says, my sixth grade son has fallen into a deep depression since this doom and gloom, they must have heard me say it earlier, uh, approach to this virus. Uh, we have taken him uh, to a therapist and he seems to be doing a little better communicating his feelings to us. Although I'm very worried that our, our happy-go-lucky son is being changed for the worst and I feel helpless in bringing him back to who he was. This is from Kathy in Los Angeles. 
That's a great question. And Kathy, I'm so sorry to hear you're going through that. It's very difficult, very difficult. Um, so I dealt with uh, depression with one of my kids and boy, there's nothing that makes you feel worse. It really, really makes you feel terrible. But so here's the ticket. You've already got your son in therapy. That's good. Mm -hmm. Communicate with him and with the therapist. Keep on top of it. See how it's going. You don't have to ask the therapist to disclose things that your child says, but you can just ask them how they're feeling about it. Like, do they feel like the relationship between the therapist and your son is working? Do they feel like it's productive? Um, are there other things that you may consider? For example, you, you may, in my son's case, he needed medication as well as therapy. And uh, you may want to explore that. But also remember that um, a lot of this is situational right now. Kids are under so much stress and it's such a difficult situation for them that as we begin to get back towards normal, you may very well begin to see his depression lessening. And for many kids as well, in the summer when there's less pressure, less stress, more sunlight, more physical activity, all of these things operate to sort of reduce depression. So hang in there, keep your thumb on the pulse, keep in contact, keep talking to your son, make sure he understands that you're concerned that you really want to know how he's thinking and how he's feeling. And, uh, you know, keep in contact with his doctors and, you know, don't be afraid to explore anything and uh, hang in there. I think it's going to get better for you. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on. And um, I don't know how soon that the next book is coming out, but as soon as it is, uh, please let me know. We will get you in. And even we if will. it's just, well, no, I mean, it, it, you know, if it's going to be soon, it's going to oh, be, soon. okay. Okay. Well, if it's going to be soon and, and yeah. we'll talk after this, but you, you can come on as the, the, um, the guest co-host. So, <laughs> so, so that way, even if we have someone else booked, we can still come in and you can tell us a little bit about it. And, okay. and, and I'm sure you'd be great you could come in, maybe you're my substitute host and you can talk about your stuff and then, and then, and then talk about whichever guest that is, but thank you so much. I love what you're doing. Um, keep it up. Uh, I, I think that this is so important that we provide everything we can to help our young people right now. Thanks so much, Alan. It's a pleasure to be on again with you and I'll absolutely let everybody know when the, the new one comes out, which hopefully will be within, I would say, a month, month and a half. Wonderful. All right. And for everybody else out there, please join us next Monday when we will be discussing a very interesting new book. It's called When I Was Someone Else. So it's a fascinating exploration of visions, synchronicities, reincarnation, and the connection between the spiritual and physical planes. And again, for everybody please visit our archives of past interviews at answers.network um, or you can subscribe to the show and have it sent to you so that you don't have to worry. It'll be there waiting for you. Um, you can do that through iTunes, through iHeartRadio, through Spotify, Stitcher, through YouTube if you want to see us as well, uh, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and many other popular podcast formats. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review. It'll help us reach more people, and I want you to know that I greatly appreciate it. The next time you're on Facebook or Twitter, please remember, stop by our page, check out some of our latest posts, and if you like them, please like us and continue to spread the word. And for everybody out there, be good human beings and be with us again next week on 
Answers Network. You're listening to Answers Network with Alan Cardoza, only on LA Talk Radio. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.